Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally, mentally, mentally. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel Moss, Metro's lifestyle editor, and today I'll be joined by Ellie Hatto, whose father died by suicide at the age of 82. But before that, I've been hearing from all of you this week. As always, you've been telling us what you've been doing to support your mental health. I have been out in the garden this week and growing some kind of unusual vegetables. Um, Long story short, I went to the garden centre. The only thing they still had was gherkins. So I planted one. It's gone absolutely mad. And I honestly have about 30 gherkins in my garden. (laughs) So I've just been spending a lot of time this week um, picking gherkins, pickling gherkins. So yeah, maybe it's a new business for me. Who knows? This week I stuck to some boundaries I set in my personal life which was difficult at first but the result was that I felt a lot better for it and proud of myself for sticking to them. Do all the teeny tiny things that make you feel happy as possible like having a hot bath or having a hot chocolate, going for a little walk, buy yourself flowers, all the teeny teeny tiny little things that make you even the slightest bit happy. Just keep doing them little and more often and slowly your brain will just become happier. It'll be easier for you to feel happiness because you're doing such little happy things more regularly. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today and for agreeing to share what must be such a personal story for you. I'd like to start by learning a little bit about your dad, Alan. How would you describe him? Well, he was quite uh, an interesting guy. He was really easygoing, um, always quite carefree throughout his life. Um, He was quite a jokey type, uh, a lover of hats, and he used to lose his hats all the time. Uh, A very practical person. He was a carpenter by trade, but could turn his hand to anything, building uh, extensions uh, and lots of other different things, mending cars. Uh, And he also loved things like ballroom dancing, golf, and anything really practical. 
So he was a pretty important guy to me because I, my mum died when I was nearly five. So he was the only parent I ever knew. So uh, that made losing him all the more painful. Gosh, yeah. And was mental health something that you spoke a lot about at home, particularly, you know, if you lost your mum at a young age, did you talk about mental health in the house or not really? No, you you would hope or think maybe we would talk about that. But actually, no, we didn't actually ever talk about my mum. It was kind of a thing that was, I wouldn't say shameful, but it never really came up in conversation. I think it was so difficult for my dad to to think about. He uh, he didn't really talk about it. Uh, and we never really talked about mental health at all um, in any in any way, really. We, you know, I think it would have been, he would maybe think of it as maybe a weakness, um, which is probably a thing of his generation. He was an older parent as well to me. So yeah, we just didn't uh, talk about anything to do with mental health at all. Mm. And you said he was quite a jokey kind of fellow on the outside anyway. Was there, was there ever any signs or were there ever, were there ever any signs that he might have been struggling either throughout your childhood or when you got a bit older? Well, not really. When, when uh, my mum died, I mean, I was quite young, so I don't remember much, but I just I just know that he just got on with things. Uh, we didn't have a, a, a big family around us either. So so he just got on with it. And and now looking back as a parent myself, I think, how did he do everything? He, he seemed so calm. You know, he did everything um, for me and my sister. And, you know, there was no issues around mental... Again, we didn't talk about it, but there was nothing to suggest that he would go on to do what he did. I mean, he did almost joke about saying if things ever got too bad that he would, you know, take the pills or, or something, some kind of joke like that. And we'd just laugh it off and think, haha, you know, that's quite funny because he was quite a joker. But, you know, little did we know that that many years later that would actually um, be how, how he, you know, ended his life. Wow. So it must have come as a real, real shock to you um, when he did end his life. Um how did you feel when you discovered that that had happened? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I actually found him and that was quite difficult. Uh, I was visiting his house that day and he knew that it would be me who would be coming to the house. And I brought my my firstborn uh, three-month-old baby with me um, and sadly found him. And, and I remember vividly the first thing I said was, I knew you would do this. And I, I shouted that out shouted it out. I can remember it now as plain as day. Um, because I think there was that realization, he was 82. So he, there was that realization really that those sort of jokey things he'd said and, and the sort of declining health, um, in the intervening years for about three years, it, it kind of it all came together in, in some weird way. Not that I could have ever predicted he would do that as, as is so common with, with suicide. It's usually a, a massive shock, uh, and a devastating, you know, trauma, to, to people who who you know experience it, so I yeah it was it was a massive shock you know absolutely grief stricken uh, and and very traumatic and you know a terrible thing to happen to anyone. No, absolutely, especially being the person to find a parent. I'm so sorry to hear that happened. In the sort of weeks afterwards, how did that experience impact your own mental health? That must have been really hard to deal with. Well, it was just a new thing to deal with. It was uh, something I'd never experienced before. I didn't know anyone who'd uh, taken their own life. I knew people who'd, you know, celebrities, if you like, and and parents of people I'd known at school who I didn't actually know. I, I knew that they'd um, died by suicide, but again, I didn't know them. So it was still a big shock and think, oh, they did that. Why did they do that? And all those questions. 
the first night it happened, I was, you know, uh, checking the internet for what, ha- you know, why people would take their own life. You know, it was a massive shock to me. Uh, and as I said, never happened uh, or experienced it before. So it was trying to work out why someone might do that, what it means, what it, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. And, and really, I, I just set me on a path really of, of trying to understand what happened more. Um, support around me wasn't uh, massive. Um, again, friends uh, uh, mainly, you know, they hadn't been through it themselves either. So they were quite shocked and didn't know what to say. And they would say as much, you know, that they didn't know what to say, um, which was difficult. And I think over time, what really helped me was finding uh, other people who'd been through a similar experience. Uh, and I did that through peer support groups um, or a group in, in general run by uh, survivors of bereavement by suicide or SOBs. And they provided peer support facilitated by by trained uh, peer support people who um, we all sat in a room and could talk about and share our experiences. Because I think with such a, a shocking thing like that, it's quite hard to find people you can talk to. Um, and it's a very open space. There's no judgment um, and, and no kind of looks or raised eyebrows that I would get in the outside world from people who didn't really understand it. Um, and I think everyone's experience of suicide is clearly different, but there's some common themes that unite people. Uh, and those are the things that I found and do still find really beneficial and rewarding. Mm. What are some of those themes, do you think? Um, well, guilt, uh, shock, trauma, um, you know, just that, that bewilderment of, of, of not knowing because most many, well, many people don't know or don't expect that to happen. Uh, there may be inklings, you know, hindsight's quite a cruel thing. You know, I can look back with my dad's uh, example and there's, there's things now that had I've known what I know now, I would have maybe dealt with things in a different way, though it's very difficult to get inside someone's head uh, and to stop that happening because everyone would like that to happen. But uh, sadly, that's not the case in many, uh, you know, experiences. Of course, yeah. You, um, I know towards the end of his life, his health deteriorated in other ways um, that you thought maybe he had Parkinson's disease. Do you think that may have been a factor or for you, is it something you don't even want to speculate about? Oh yeah, I, th- I think that it, it's a possibility uh, reading up on, on symptoms of Parkinson's. It could be that that, uh, you know, lack of um, hope in life and other kind of uh, physiological issues it absolutely could have been um, a cause, uh, a contributory factor to him taking his own life. But I think about three years before he died, he did start to sort of physically decline. And I said before, he was quite a physical guy. So him not being able to cut the grass or go ballroom dancing was was pretty pretty terrible for him. Uh, not that he would ever express that, but I think uh, you, you could tell that he was, he was starting to kind of um, shuffle a little bit. His gait was changing. One of his arms he kind of carried in a sort of strange way, um, which could suggest Parkinson's. I don't think necessarily that was the absolute reason why. I think it was a, a, a multitude of things, but he knew that his life wouldn't basically improve um, and, and took matters into his own, into his own hands. Yeah, he was 82 when he died. Are people surprised when they hear that? Do you think maybe there are any misconceptions around suicide and older people that exist? Yeah, I mean, I think quite often that there's a kind of misconception that older, it doesn't affect older people or maybe older people don't have suicide thoughts. I mean, I've had lots of friends who've said to me, 
you know, that their elderly or older relatives have said, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know, unwell and I'm, there's no hope left and, you know, I'd like it all to end. And they kind of talk to me as almost for advice. And, and, it, and, and it just goes to show that it does impact older people. You know, we do hear a lot about um, younger people uh, and suicide, but I don't think it's absolutely uh, only about younger people. And we should focus more on as well, older people. Uh, and what options there are for older people when, you know, their life isn't isn't going to get any better, and, and what can they, what support can they get at, at the end of their life? You mentioned that you sort of realised that your dad knew that you were likely to be the person who would find him. How did you feel about that, knowing that he'd potentially, you know, made that decision? Yeah, well, I think I can't be 100% sure that that was the case, but I was the only person due to visit that day and he didn't have anyone else who would have, you know, visited the house that day. Um, a mix, really. I think part of it was um, surprise, I guess, that he knew it may have been me. Uh, but then but then in some ways, I think the fact that he knew it would be me is, is maybe in his eyes was keeping it kind of close and in the family, if that makes sense, um, as opposed to someone who he didn't know. Um, but it's an interesting one because friends, certain people said that, you know, he was selfish to do that because he knew it would have been me. But I, I don't really see it that way. I don't, I don't say I was privileged to find him, but in some, you know, strange way, uh, so I'm glad I'm, I did. That's not the right thing, but, but I wish he hadn't done it, but actually I've come to accept that, that that was, that was okay. And that was all he had to deal with at the time. He, you know, he knew I was coming and, and that was the decision he'd made on that day. Did this, you know, big, big experience with losing your dad and the way that you lost your dad change the way that you saw him afterwards? Has it shaped your memories of him at all? Or do you prefer to think of him as the joker, the handyman as he always was? Yeah, I definitely prefer to think of him as the, as the handyman and the joker, though it has taken some time to to not focus on the way he died. And I think that's quite common with bereavement by suicide. It's such an intense experience that that, that, that kind of shades and clouds everything um, for some time. You know, now it's been sort of 10 years on, I can think more, look back at photos and, and w- without being as emotional and look at and remember those times that we shared through the photos and that kind of thing. But it, it can be uh, a difficult thing. Uh, and in light of the fact that he was sort of out of character, saying out of character things, acting erratically and things that were quite surprising and, and scary, um, frightening for me uh, at the end of his life, just before he took his own life. I want to talk a bit about the a bit more about the support that you managed to find for yourself. Um, particularly, you mentioned you were a new mum when this first happened, which I can't imagine. You know the double stress around that. How did you begin to sort of rebuild your life afterwards and look after yourself and your new baby? Yeah, I mean, I think having the new baby was was a blessing in some ways of you know breastfeeding every what seemed like every two seconds. So it was quite a bewildering time being a new parent uh, as well. Um, so I think in terms of sort of rebuilding, the the peer support massively helped because it just felt that that I, I could share that experience and not feel isolated. Uh, and and in reality, I kind of threw myself into stuff like clearing out his house what seemed like two days after he died and arranging the funeral sorting out the will it was just the the way I think that my body was was coping with what had happened Uh, but there was no getting away from the fact that 
it was a terribly shocking thing. And it still is 10 years on. Um, I, I still can't quite believe it. Most days are fine, but some days I just, I'm out in the street or doing something and it just hits me. And it's like, did that really happen? So it's, it just proves how, how traumatic and shocking going through bereavement by suicide is. You do some really amazing work now around both suicide prevention and supporting loved ones who've experienced suicide. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, I'd love to hear a bit about Beside Yourself and also Voices that you work with. Yeah, so I, uh, as a result of, of the help that I got with the peer support group with SOBS, I later then became a, a facilitator for them and I still am. And I kind of say that it, that kind of work found me. I didn't seek it out. Um, I, I, was, I saw Eddie, Eddie Izzard at Carfest at the weekend and he came out with an interesting quote that said, uh, is enlightened self-interest about the things he does for charity and marathon running, that kind of thing. And that really resonated with me because... I do this work because it is uh, healing for me and also hopefully helps other people. Uh, and I'm kind of drawn to it. And I will say I can't help what I do. And it's kind of true. I just get drawn to it and, and keep going. So so uh, just over a year ago, I set up a, a com- community interest company called uh, Beside Yourself. And we d- uh, develop content um, for 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 basically based on insights and knowledge around lived experience of suicide, which I think is kind of not necessarily out there. There's quite classic uh, help and support out there, but this is kind of um, almost a reflection of my um, feelings and stuff towards suicide and bereavement and the impacts, not just loved ones, but other people who may have been impacted, you know, who they, who they don't know or, or people they, you know, colleagues and that kind of thing and organizations who may struggle to deal with um, the impacts of suicide. So, so that's what we do. So we create content on the kind of almost the softer side of, of, of how real life can affect you um, after suicide and also helping organisations to develop sort of strategies around bereavement and suicide prevention. Um, and then Voices is something I've been involved with for a number of years, and that's a group or a collective of people impacted or bereaved by suicide. Um, and it's facilitated by Hampshire County Council Public Health. And we help to um, develop uh, and deliver and evaluate um, community-related services and projects um, from a lived experience perspective of, of suicide. And we're, you know, we just help to give that unique perspective that, that people working, uh, developing these kinds of services may not have if they don't, if they haven't lived through that experience. And um, we're massively welcomed there, which is really, really good. Um, yeah. And we hope to, to offer really strong guidance and, and that honest, authentic uh, perspective about real life around suicide prevention and bereavement support. Mm, yeah, that's so brilliant that you have channeled your energy into doing all these things. We're going to share this episode with our listeners on Suicide Prevention Day. What do you think we need to be doing as a society to prevent more suicides? I think we need to realise that mental health is physical health. It's actually health. We should all talk about it a lot more human it's it's only human feeling low and uh being impacted by illnesses uh and that kind of thing so i think suicide really is everyone's business we i know from the people i interact with that it can affect anyone uh it doesn't matter how rich you are how good you look uh, what 
qualifications you have, it's 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 indiscriminate, and we know that for a fact, and it's it, it it's devastating for people. So, the key thing I think for me is that we need to talk more about how we're feeling, identify and acknowledge if we are struggling, and to seek out help if we can get it, and we can find sources to to help us with that. And the other thing I would say is that. Um, it's we should also be aware of other people changes in other people's behavior or what they say because if we have a, a hunch or or we feel in our gut that something is slightly wrong with someone maybe we're quite often we're right and to not be afraid to actually talk about suicide um, it doesn't encourage someone to go on to take their own life if we mention it but they might just be grateful that we have um, and I've known I know that my own experience of bereavement by suicide has made me hyper vigilant and aware of people in crisis. And I mean, people I know and people on the street. And I've approached many people because I can't actually help it now. Um, because again, hindsight is cruel and I can I can spot things in people and, and, and will approach people. It may feel uncomfortable, but I still do it because I think if I didn't, you know, who knows? So I think we all have a a massive responsibility to look out for everyone uh, at a grassroots on a grassroots level. Um, whether it work, it play in the family, friends, anyone. So I think it doesn't have to be heavy. We just have to look out for people. That is really brilliant advice. Thank you. We've got one final question for you that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that's what's the most important lesson that you've learned about mental health that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think it firstly sort of depends whether you know them or not. And I'd say my experience is some people I've, I know and some people I I've, don't know and they're strangers on the street kind of thing. So I think the key thing is just to kind of uh, say hello and just say, oh, I just noticed you were, you know, walking along the street or you're, you're crying. I just noticed, you know, not trying to put words into their mouth or to kind of say, I noticed you are X, Y, Z. Or you could say, I noticed you're you look really emotional or you're having a tough time or, or, or whatever. So I think it's just going in. You don't have to have the answers. Again, it's that fix-it mentality, I think, that scares people. Um, but actually just putting your hand on someone's shoulder or just saying, you're okay, is, is, is enough or to start a conversation and maybe to then go on and say, you know, you seem X, Y, Z, what's going on for you at the moment? Do, do, you, do you want a, a quick chat about it? And then to also to talk about, if, is there anyone else that they could maybe talk to or do they have anyone around who 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 could support them? Because again, is that fear that you 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 talk to them about it and they open up and you don't know where to go with it. But again, you don't have to opening up, I think, in the in the first place is is a is a start of a ten and, and that's a great beginning. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Thank you so much to Ellie for being our guest this week on Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by anything you've heard today, please call the Samaritans on 116 123. You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at MentallyYRS. And get involved. Tell us what you've been doing this week to look after your mental health. Message Pineapple Audio Production on Instagram with your voice notes. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.